This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com This is a very difficult period for the Jewish people. In our lifetime, we'd be hard-pressed to find a comparable time than the time that we're experiencing today. But what could we do? You know, my grandfather... My grandmother, they were Holocaust survivors. But uh, the Jewish practice is we don't feel sorry for ourselves. We don't wallow in the dust. We don't just feel bad. We pick ourselves up. We dust ourselves off. And we plan. What could we do for the future? You know, there's an episode in the beginning of uh, Sefer Bereshis. We're all familiar with this, one of the most well-known narratives in the whole Bereshus. But if you stop and think for a moment, it's quite unusual. The angels come to Avraham Avinu. And they tell Avraham and Sarah, they say, you know, you've been waiting quite a while to have a child. Good news, guess what? In a year's time, Sarah's going to have a baby. Avraham was overjoyed. Avraham laughed in, in great simcha, Targum says, Vachadi, he rejoiced. The story should have stopped there. The angels come, they tell Avraham he's going to have a child, Avraham rejoices, that's all I need to know. But the Torah continues, there's information given that, I would say, too much information. The Torah reports to us that Sarah laughed at this. She didn't believe it. She was incredulous. Not only that, God comes to Avraham and He asks Avraham, hey Avraham, why did Sarah laugh? You know, if I would have gone to Avraham and I would have said to Avraham, you know, Avraham, your wife didn't believe in this. You know what you would call that? That would be Rechilos. That would be Lashon Hara. And yet the Torah tells us that God comes to Avraham and says, hey Avraham, why did she laugh? And the Torah continues. And the Torah says, Avraham goes to Sarah and he says, Sarah, why'd you laugh? And Sarah denies it. Sarah says, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't laugh. And the Torah says, No, you're a liar. You laughed. Actually, Rashi tells us that Sarah was on a higher level of prophecy than Avraham. Which is hard to understand because does anybody know when did God ever speak to Sarah in the whole Chumash? Do you ever find the conversation between Abraham and Sarah, between God and Sarah in the whole Chumash? Then it says yes. God comes to Sarah and says, "You laughed." Those are not the words of Abraham. They're the words of Sarah. They're the words of God to Sarah. You laughed. That was the only prophecy Sarah ever received. No, you laughed. The Chafetz Chaim writes in a letter that upon reflecting on the story, he cannot understand why the Torah reports to us. Number one, A, that Sarah laughed. B, that Hashem should ask Avraham why did she laugh. C, that Avraham should confront her. D, that Sarah should deny it. And then God should come to Sarah and say, no, you're not telling the truth, you did laugh. What do we need this information for? Does it reflect well on anybody? Just say the angels came and they told Avram, you're going to have a child and the baby was born and they had a bris milah. 
Says the Chafetz Chaim, this story is the story of the Jewish people in our times. Events will unfold. There will be difficulty, there will be tragedy. And there will be appeals, and there will be Tehillim, and there will be gatherings. But one thing will be missing. You know what will be missing? Maybe this is it. Maybe the Rebbein is paving the way. Maybe He's preparing us for the great redemption. Yeah, but nobody thinks that way. We're not really waiting for it. We're not really preparing ourselves for it. If we would be preparing for it, then we would wake up every single morning, we would say, Rebbein Shalom, I know the day is close. I repent before you. I return to you. I am preparing myself If it happens today, I'm ready for it. Do we do that? Do we wake up in the morning saying, If today's the day, I'm ready? We don't do it. We're not really waiting. And when God brings the redemption, He's going to come to us, and He's going to tell us, Did you really think it was going to happen? And we're going to say, Yeah, yeah, of course, we were waiting. And God's going to say, No, you weren't waiting. You laughed. You were incredulous. You got together. You had gatherings. You said to Hillem, but you didn't really prepare yourself. The story of Sarah, says the Chafetz Chaim, is a reflection of the Jewish mindset in the time before the coming of Mashiach. From here we learn, says the Chafetz Chaim, that we really need to prepare ourselves. So when the great day comes and God says, were you waiting for me? We're going to say yes. And if we're challenged and we're asked, you laughed, we're going to say, we weren't laughing, we were waiting. Perhaps the call of the hour is to recognize that we're living in historic times and we know that one of the great questions that a Jew will be asked after 120, we know we'll be asked about our observance of all 613 mitzvahs. But the Gemara says there are six primary, fundamental obligations that we will face a specific cross-examination about. And one of those great questions will be, Tzipisa li Yeshua. Did you await the coming of Mashiach? Were you eagerly anticipating His arrival? Were, we, were you yearning for it? Were you pining for it? My grandfather, Zechatzak told me every day when he was in Auschwitz, he believed the Emuna Shalema Mashiach was coming today. My grandfather awaited the Mashiach like if you would order something on Amazon and they say it's coming Monday or Tuesday and the doorbell rings and you say, oh, that's, what, that's it? That's how he awaited the coming of Mashiach. Not as a theoretical concept, not as an idea. Not as a principle, as a reality. So at the very least, let's try to identify some opportunities in the mitzvahs that we do, in the observances that we have, that at least we could say, okay, when I fulfill this, I'll use that as an opportunity to realistically await the coming of Mashiach. I want to share with you two such opportunities And then I would like to speak about the events that are unfolding in a historical context. 
Number one, the Arizal writes that we have two brachas in Shemana Esrei that are seemingly similar. We have the bracha of Yerushalayim, Mercha Brachem, Tashuv, and we have the bracha Semach David Avdecha Mehera Satzmiach. Both seemingly refer to the rebuilding of Yerushalayim and the restoration of the Malchus based David. What is the difference between these two blessings? The Arizal writes, it's in the Shar HaKavanois, that when we say the bracha of Yerushalayim, you see, we have a tradition that there are two Mashiachs. There's a Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David. This is discussed in the Gemara, even though the Rambam never speaks about Mashiach ben Yosef, the Gemara Masech Sukkah speaks about a concept, Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David. The fate of Mashiach ben Yosef seems to be somewhat unclear, whether he will survive the turmoil of the days that precede the coming of Mashiach. When you say Vilushalayim Yercha Barachamim Tashav, the Arizal writes specifically, when you say the words, Vechise David, the throne of David, the throne of David, the base of David, is Mashiach ben Yosef, the Arizal says. When you say Vechise David Mehera Lesaycha Tachin, pray for the safe coming of Mashiach ben Yosef. And Arizal says, when you say, Ki lishuascha kivinu kalhayoim, pray for the arrival of Mashiach ben David. So at the very least, you know, three times a day, you fulfilled your responsibility of earnestly, sincerely awaiting the coming of Mashiach. The rest of the day, it's busy. We have things that occupy us. But at the very least, put a... Mark in your siddur. Put your keys in your siddur. Put a sign in your siddur. Stop for a moment. Pause. And at least try to muster a few moments of feeling when you say these words. So at least three times a day, you could eagerly await the coming of Mashiach. That's number one. Number two. You know, if you study Kabbalah Shabbos, the piyot written by Rav Shlom al-Kabetz about 450 years ago, you study the stanzas of Kabbalah Shabbos, you'll notice that the majority of Kabbalah Shabbos has absolutely nothing to do with Shabbos at all. Yeah, the first stanza, L'chadoidi L'kras Kala, Shamar V'zachar B'dibar Echad, L'kras Shabbos, that speaks about Shabbos. That's why many of us are still awake. But once you get to Mikdash Melech Ir Melucha, once you get to the fourth stanza, the rest of it does not discuss Shabbos at all. Mikdash Melech is a request for the rebuilding of the base HaMikdash. Hisnari, Me'afar Kumi, Al Yad Ben Yishai is a prayer for the return of the Davidic dynasty. Uri, Uri, Shir Dabri. Who knows? Who uttered the words Uri, Uri, Dabri, Shir? Tavaira. What do the words mean, Uri, Uri, Shir Dabri? Awaken, awaken. It's a prayer that Hashem should restore the institution of nevuah, of prophecy. What does that have to do with Shabbos? Then we speak about the expansion of Yushalayim. Syria might not like this, but our tradition is that Jerusalem will expand all the way to Damascus. <coughs> That's what we're davening for in Kabbalah Shabbos? The expansion of Yushalayim, you know there's opinion in the Gemara, Rabbi Yossi says, you take the northern and southern border of Eretz Yisrael, the Gemara in Gittin says, and you make a horizontal line, and it expands Eretz Yisrael through all the islands of the Mediterranean, including North Africa and Southern Europe. 
That's the opinion of Rabbi Yossi in Masech Degitin. That's what we're davening for in, in Kabbalah Shabbos, the expansion of, of Eretz Yisrael in the end of days. Why are we praying for this in Kabbalah Shabbos? So in a nutshell, it was just the yard side of Hagoyen Rav Moshe Shapiro and Asar Bateves. Rav Moshe Shapiro has a breakthrough exposition on Kabbalah Shabbos. Friends, does anybody know? What day of the week was the Beis Hamikdash destroyed? You have eight possibilities. Right? There are eight days in the week, of course. Say, so what's this guy talking about from America? In America, we have eight time periods of the week. You have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, Saturday night. Matzoi Shabbos. These are eight time periods. The Gemara Masech Tainus tells us that the, both the first base Hamikdash and the second base Hamikdash were destroyed Matzoi Shabbos. Says the Maral, it's not co- coincidence that both the Bayis Rishon and the Bayis Sheni were destroyed Matzoi Shabbos. Dvarim Gedoylam Enam Bemikra. You see, there's an idea in Jewish thought called Ashan, where time, place, and people converge. There are times and places that are synonymous. What Shabbos is in time, the Beis Hamikdash is in place. Shabbos is, so to speak, the Beis Hamikdash of the week. The Beis Hamikdash is the Shabbos of the world. Shabbos and the Beis Hamikdash are synonymous. So long as you're moving toward Shabbos, you cannot have a destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. So how is the temple ever destroyed? You're always moving toward Shabbos. Hayam Yom Rishon B'Shabbos. Hayam Yom Sheni B'Shabbos. Hayam Yom Shlishi B'Shabbos. The answer is there's only one window, one juncture in time where you're moving away from Shabbos. Matzoi Shabbos. Matzoi Shabbos is the only time of the week that you're moving away from. And therefore that's the only window of opportunity for the Beis HaMikdash to be destroyed. Says Rav Moshe Shapiro, and I've never seen him express himself in the following way. Halacha lemaisa. All of his ideas are machshava, philosophy. He says, halacha lemaisa. After 120, when they ask, did you eagerly await the coming of Mashiach? When does a Jew fulfill that great obligation? Kabbalah Shabbos. Kabbalah Shabbos. As you're awaiting the coming of the Beis Hamikdash of time, you are synonymously, at the same time, awaiting and yearning and pining for the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash. And therefore, part and parcel of Kabbalah Shabbos is your davening, not only greeting the Shabbos, yearning for the Shabbos, you're davening that Hashem should rebuild the Beis HaMikdash. You're davening Hashem should bring back all the treats, all the goodies of antiquity, of when the Beis HaMikdash stood. Hashem should restore prophecy. Hashem should restore Malchus Beis David. Hashem should expand Jerusalem all the way to Syria. The second time, and I would suggest, you know, in New York, a lot of ladies get together Friday night and they say Tehillim. Perhaps, though, it should not come at the expense of Kabbalah Shabbos. Because Kabbalah Shabbos, one is fulfilling one of the most fundamental objectives of life as a Jew. Yearning for the coming of the Gula. That's another great opportunity. Timakayim, 
the important function of this world of Tzipis Ali Yeshua. Let's try to place the events that are unfolding before our eyes in a historical perspective. If you look in Medrash throughout Sefer Bereshis, the Medrash Rabbah always refers to four exiles. Babylon, Babel, Persia Media, I always say the media is the biggest gallus of all, Yavan, Greece, and Rome, Edain. This is a concept reiterated in Bereshis Rabbah numerous times. Anytime the number four is alluded to in Sefer Bereshis, it's always a reference to the four Goliaths. V'ha'aretz ha'isasoyhu, emptiness, Bavel. Bayhu, madai. Chayshach, yavan. Sahaim, Rome. The four rivers in Gan Eden, the four exiles. The four descriptions in the Brisbane Habasarim, the four exiles. The four descriptions in the sheep that Yaakov Avinu encounters when he meets Rachel. Again and again and again, the Medrash Rabbah refers to four exiles. And the Achroinim ask, most notably Maral of Prague, that what happened to a Golos that's a very powerful and devastating and demoralizing Golos, Golos Yishmael. Why isn't Yishmael on the list? Is Yishmael not a Golos? Are the events that we've experienced in the last couple of months, is that not part of something called Golos Yishmael? Why is Yishmael not on the list? Now you should know that in the opinion of Ibn Ezra, the fourth Golos is Golos Yishmael. And the third Golos is Yavan Roimi, because they're related. But the Ramban says that can't be. It's against Chazal. Chazal never referred to Golos Yishmael. Why not? Why isn't Yishmael one of the Golosim? This is the question of the Maral. For the sake of time, and there's so many other notable speakers this evening, I'm going to try to cut to the chase, as they say. Why is Yishmael not one of the four Golosim? But before we cut to the chase, I have to share with you two brief teachings of the Gemara. The Gemara in the beginning of Masech Tavah tells us that in the end of days, God will declare, whoever learnt this, whoever supported this, come get your reward. God will take out a Sefer Torah and He'll say, whoever learnt the Torah, whoever supported the Torah, come get your reward. And the Gemara says, all the nations of the world will clamor, we supported the Torah. We help the Jewish people. And God's going to say, nope, order, please, do it one at a time. I want one nation to come at a time. And the Gemara says, the first nation to claim reward in the end of days will be Edom, Rome. And Edom will claim, we built many bathhouses. We built many stores, many streets. Everything we did in the world, everything we did to advance society, was so that the Jewish people should be able to learn Tyra. And God's going to say, you fools, that's not what your intention was, that's why I allowed you to do it, but that's not what your intention was, therefore you can't get reward. And the Gemara says, Rome walks out dejected, despondent, 
and empty-handed. The Gemara says the next nation that will walk in is Paras, Persia. And Persia will say, we waged many wars, we built many bridges, all so that the Jewish people should be able to learn Tyra. And God will say, you fools, that's not what your intention was. And they too will walk away despondent and empty-handed. Asks the Gemara, why only Rome and Persia? Answers the Gemara, because they are the two most chashuv nations, the two most important nations. Ask the Gemara, what makes Rome and Persia the two most important nations? Answers the Gemara, they will be the only two superpowers until Mashiach comes. Rome and Persia. And you read this Gemara, and you sort of scratch your head and wonder, what's the Gemara talking about? Rome and Persia? You want to learn about the Roman Empire? You could go to the British Museum. There you'll find a piece of pottery that a Roman drank from 2,000 years ago. That's what's left of the Roman Empire. You could go to Rome today and you'll see headless statues. That's what's left of the Roman Empire. Rome will last until Mashiach comes. Persia will last. The Greeks conquered the Persians. There's nothing left of the Persian Empire. What does Gemara mean? That Rome and Persia will last until Mashiach comes? Rome is easy to deal with. The Ben Yehoyada, the Ben Eshchai writes from the Sechta Abedazar and Daf Yud, Rome refers to the Western world, the United States of America, Western ideals, Western values. Rome indeed will last until Mashiach comes. Sorry, USA, USA will last until Mashiach comes. But Persia? Persia will last until Mashiach comes as a superpower? So I know many of you are thinking, well, maybe it means Iran. Very difficult to say. Iran today has no similar ethnicity, culture, genetic commonality with the ancient Persian Empire? That's what the Gemara means? There'll be two powers in the end of days? Rome, America, and Iran? Let me share with you another Gemara, but you'll see how the Maral literally opens up the heavens and prophetically sets the stage for the final two players before Mashiach comes. There's a Gemara Masech de Yuma. The Gemara says two nations will stand before Mashiach comes. Rome and Persia. Roimi and Paras. Ask the Gemara, who will defeat who? So I live in New York. I live in the United States of America. I am hoping the Gemara will say, Rome will defeat Persia. Makes me feel much more comfortable. We'll hang out in New York until the great day comes. That's not what the Gemara says. The Gemara brings three views. You should be familiar with them. The Gemara brings the opinion of, Ro- of Rebbe. Asida, Roimi, Shatipo, Biad, Paras. Rome will fall to Persia. The Gemara brings the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan. Rome will fall to Persia. And then the Gemara brings the dissenting view. Rav, Persia will be defeated by Rome. 
What do these Gemaras mean? Are they just Agadita that we have to write off and say, well, we don't really understand the allegory of the, of the Gemara? Listen to the discovery of the Maral. The Maral wants to know, why is Yishmael not one of the Golosim? Why is it not one of the exiles? Says the Maral, he gives a first answer. I'm just going to share with you the final answer of the Maral. Says the Maral, Yishmael is one of the four exiles. Which one? Paras, Persia. Asana, what does Yishmael have to do with Persia? Says Maral, the four exiles are not four powers, kingdoms. They're four personality types. And the personality described in the Gemara about Persia is they wage wars and they conquer cities. This is Yishmael, says the Maral. According to the Maral, the Gemara then has set up for us the two big players in world history before Mashiach comes. The United States of America against Yishmael. That is what the Gemara Navadazar says. That until Mashiach comes, there'll be two world powers. The United States of America and Yishmael. And who will beat who? It's the subject of Machlekes. Rebbe, Rebbe Yochanan, the United States of America will fall to Persia. Rav, Persia will fall to the United States of America. And Persia is a code word for Yishmael. And if you want to know, okay, do we have a halachic conclusion about this? Do we have any more later authorities that offer a decisive view? Who will be the last man standing? And the answer is, you bet we do. We absolutely do. Number one, we have the Balaturim. The Balaturim says, at the end of Parshas Chayisara, it says, Al pnei kol echav nafal. It's talking about the family of Yishmael. Al pnei kol echav nafal. Says the Balaturim, Kishayipal Yishmael besoif hayamim oz yitzmach ben David. Mashiach comes when Yishmael falls. Furthermore, the Gra writes in numerous places that the two Mashiachs, Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David, Mashiach ben Yosef will take us out of Golos Edom. Mashiach ben David takes us out of Golos Yishmael. Which comes last? Golos Yishmael. And then Mashiach ben David comes. And then you have amazing comments of Reb Chaim Knievsky. Where would Reb Chaim Knievsky have commented about which will be the last Golos? In none other than his commentary on the Haggadah Shel Pesach. In the final passage of the Haggadah. Chad Gadya. You remember Chagadya? They sing it in Amsterdam, don't they? In Chagadya, we have eight characters. Besides the goat, the kid. You have a cat and a dog and a stick and a fire and water and an ox and a shaychet and the angel of death. Reb Chaim Knievsky refers us to Rashi and Zechariah. 
Where Rashi says the four exiles are really dual exiles, each one consisting of two. So it's Bavel Kazdi, Paras Madai, Yavan Moikdan, Esav Yishmael. And Reb Chaim goes on to say that the Babylonians are compared to a cat. Nebuchadnezzar, the Gemara, compares to a howling cat. And the Kazdim Belshatzar is compared to a dog. And Koresh from Madai was like a stick. He would beat his oppressors with a stick. And Achashverosh was like a fire. And Alexander Mokdan was water. The Gemara and Talmud says on Daflam and Beis, they sprinkled water on him from the Garden of Eden. And then the Yivanim, the Greeks, were like the ox. They, wrote, they said, Kisvu al keren hashor, ein lochem chelek Yisrael. And now we finally have two job openings. We have the job opening of a ritual slaughter, a shaychet, and we have the angel of death. And guess what? We have two highly qualified individuals applying for these two jobs. Esav and Yishmal are duly qualified for these two jobs. So me living in America, I would like to think that Yishmal is second to last. He's the shaychet. After all, who does Avraham Avinu give the cow to? To shecht, Yishmal. And the angel of death, my grandfather told me he saw the angel of death. In Auschwitz, Dr. Mengele, Esav. That's how I would have interpreted Chadgadya, Hoping that America will be the last one standing. But Reb Chaim says, nice try, but no cigar. Says Reb Chaim, the shoychet is Esav. The angel of death is Ishmael. He's the last man standing before Mashiach comes. And that doesn't make us feel very comfortable. And that doesn't make us feel very settled. But one thing it should make us do is the same way when we say Yerushalayim, Erechabrachim, Tashav, and Bechis, and Esemach David, it should make us yearn for the coming of the redemption. And the same way when we daven Kabbalah Shabbos, it should make us yearn for the coming of redemption. When we see the ascendancy of Yishmael in the world, that should trigger in our mind, now is our opportunity. But let me just end off with one perspective on learning these Gemaras this way. Then, the end of days, there are two superpowers, Esav and Yishmael, America and the Arab world. Western ide- ideals, Judeo-Christian values against Yishmael. You know, we tend to think that in the end of days, there's going to be some kind of major war, heaven forbid, nuclear war, and who's going to defeat who? Nobody knows. But anyone who's a student of history knows that history always repeats itself. And anyone who knows anything about the Roman Empire knows that nobody ever conquered the Roman Empire. People think, oh, the Persians came and conquered the Roman Empire. Nobody ever conquered the Roman Empire. What happened to the Roman Empire? What happened to the Roman Empire is what we see happening in the United States today. Political disillusionment. The implosion of society. The bereft of any ideals or values. Where nobody conquered it, nobody defeated it. 
There was recognition internally that it doesn't stand for anything anymore. That nothing that it was built upon even exists anymore. That you could have a country built upon the ideals of the Bible. The founding fathers of the United States of America thought maybe they would speak Lashon Kodesh as the national language. It was built on the ideals of the Ten Commandments. That doesn't exist anymore. We see, really, history repeating itself. Because while Roymi's values are imploding, the ideals and values of Yishmael, albeit, albeit wrong, they stand for something. And when the Gemara talks about in the end of days there will be two powers that will combat each other, this may be a war of ideology, where we see that in the end of days there will be two world views that remain standing. And the question is, which one falls first before the great day? The Rambam says nobody knows exactly how things will play out. But our responsibility is to take to heart what's taking place before our eyes and use it as an opportunity to really fulfill the great objective of life of being Tzipisali Yeshua, which is something we could do in the Shemayna Esrei. This is something we could do when we await for Shabbos. And every time you hear news around the world and from Eretz Yisrael, it's not just to keep afloat of what's happening. Use it, utilize it, to inspire you, to teach your family that we're waiting for it. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.